Welcome, everyone, to the CGOA podcast. It has been a long minute since we've actually done a podcast, but we're going to try to do a few of these during the season. And with me today is Mitchell Jet Spencer. Welcome, Mitchell. Hello. It's great to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's great to have you. So Mitchell is going to be performing the Rachmaninoff Second Piano Concerto with the Sinfonietta upcoming in November. And so I want to talk to Mitchell about that concerto and just get to know him a little bit. So Mitch, why don't you uh, give us a short bullet point bio? Who is Mitchell Jet Spencer? Uh, who is Mitchell Jet Spencer? Well, uh, I grew up in Salt Lake City, Utah, um, and I started playing piano when I was five years old. Um, and I left Utah to go pursue a degree in aerospace engineering in Boulder, Colorado, and stayed there for five years while, um, in addition to my engineering degree, I still very heavily and very seriously pursued music, um, both performance and composition, um, meeting with different faculty members and instructors and, and just sinking my teeth into it as much as I could. Um, and I really relied on that balance uh, of, of engineering and music, left brain and right brain, um, all throughout college. Um, graduated in 2021, just out of the pandemic. Um, and I got a really awesome job at in situ, a Boeing subsidiary in the Columbia Gorge. And uh, if it weren't for that, you know, I don't think I ever would have even heard about Hood River or the Gorge, um, but I'm so glad that I jumped on that opportunity because I've just since fallen in love with this place. I now live in White Salmon, um, and uh, now that I'm out of college, I have more time than ever to practice and play, and I had no idea coming out here that there would be as many musical resources as there are uh, to pursue um, with the community, and so um, so now I am uh, jumping on those opportunities and finding more ways to play. Cool. So, you know, lots of kids take piano lessons when they're five, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, that's not, that's not uncommon. So what was, the, what was the thing that really got you going and, you know, sparked you into being really serious about it? It was very gradual. Um, and actually, I, I think my <laughs> mom knew that I had musical tendencies we had an upright piano growing up um and i would just tinker around on that and put, pick out little tunes just by ear and i think that was kind of her um impetus to start me on lessons and when she first signed me up i hated it i was like so adamantly against you know structured learning and i was like i don't need this i don't want this i'm not interested and i think it took me maybe a year a year and a half in it before i finally um stopped resisting <laughs> and um and i i kind of just realized that like with slow and steady progress like i can actually um you know do pretty well at this and i i was I, so it was a very slow and gradual process but um i think one of the big moments for me that kind of solidified that this is going to be a significant aspect of my life um was my grandmother would come over and play for she would just play on our piano. She was a, a piano teacher and um, she would play these, these uh, arranged ragtime pieces from Joplin. And one of them was the Maple Leaf Rag. Uh, and I just, I love that, that piece as a kid. It's just something about it just like really, um, you know, clung to me. 
And uh, I remember I was at Disneyland with my mom as a kid and we heard someone playing the Maple Leaf Rag in its full, full version. And she told me, she said, you know, when you can play that piece, I'll let you stop taking lessons. And I was like, deal. <laughs> and so, um, and it wasn't, uh, you know, I think it was maybe in middle school when I, I finally learned the piece with all of its octaves and jumping and, and, and technical difficulty. And my mom came to me and said, well, um, do you remember the, the, the arrangement that we had? And I said, well, I'm not going to stop now. <laughs> so she knew, she knew that that was going to happen, right? She knew. Yeah, I think she did. Yeah. Yeah, it sounds like it. Was there ever a time when you got, you know what? I'm done with piano. I want to learn clarinet instead. Um, definitely. I mean, I I was always really fascinated by jazz, and I think you know, um, just the syncopation and the harmony, and I think that's what attracted me to you know the ragtime that I heard my grandmother play. Um, and so in middle school, I learned the alto saxophone, um, and picked that up for for a brief moment. Um. But, uh, but just nothing, nothing really, um, you know, I, and I, I think part of it is just the fact that piano is just such an easy instrument to sit down and play. You don't even have to be that intentional with it. Um, most places, if, if there's a, a musical venue, will have a piano for you. It's very easy for me as a pianist to be pretty lazy about it. Um, you know, there's, there's definitely, it's a double-edged sword, right? But uh, when I played saxophone, I had to, you know, haul it around everywhere. I had to clean it. I had to warm up with it, get my reed wet. And I was just, it was just too much. I need to be able to sit down and immediately play when I want to play. Um, and that was just something that I think the piano really rendered me. When, um, so when you were younger, were there composers that you really liked then that you don't like as much now? Um, how has your musical taste changed over the years? That's a good question. Um, I think a lot of it reflects who my teachers were and kind of the fascination that they had. And I think I was incredibly, incredibly fortunate to have such an amazing teacher growing up um, who was uh, just really great at, you know, getting his students excited with music. Um, and I started playing, you know, a lot of just arrangements of things, maybe some very, easy stuff, but nothing of like traditional classical repertoire until I heard Chopin's Fantasy Impromptu. And I think that was like what really, that excited me. And I told my teacher, I'm like, I need to learn this. And he's like, okay, well, let's start with maybe like the raindrop prelude. And so he started me on Chopin and I grew this, this you know, deep love for Chopin. And I think that was like my first, um, my, my first real admiration for a, a significant composer. And through there, you know, I, I, I adopted my teacher's love for all of the classical composers, Mozart and Beethoven. Um, and, uh, and it was right at the end of high school that I had heard my first piece by Prokofiev. And I remember just being so like taken back and just almost disgusted. <laughs> I was like, how, how could anybody like, you know, one, compose a piece like that, and two, like actually to put the time into learning just this, this cacophonous nonsense. Um, and I was really staunch about it. <laughs> and I think if anything, um, the, or the repeating theme in my life from music has, has been humility because it, it really never takes long for me to hear something I don't, I don't like and then to come back maybe a few weeks later and realize I actually really love this music. Um, and that was the case with Prokofiev for me. 
And that was about the time that I left my teacher then and um, started working under the instruction of, uh, of Maria Kirchhovskaya in Boulder, Colorado. And that's when I really took a deep dive into a lot of um, 20th century music. And uh, then my taste started to get a little bit more avant-garde. And, um, and But, you know, I, I would say still um, a lot of my tastes are very similar. I, I think my, my fascination with jazz has lended itself to the harmonies of French Impressionism. And I think my, my interest in like loud cacophonous, exciting stuff has lended itself to Prokofiev and American composers. And so there's, there's a lot of threads that kind of align with my musical in, uh, interests. And, and so um, there's, there's really many composers from all different eras and parts of the world that I think align with that. It's kind of the opposite of me. I was raised writing avant-garde and atonal music. And I wouldn't even approach writing something tonal and melodic till I was probably in my 30s, you know, so it was totally the opposite thing. Um, so uh, when did you start composing? When did they go from improvisation then to trying to write it down? How did that, what was the sequence for you? Uh, I, I started composing the same time I started learning piano. Um, and I, I always, um, yeah, I would have these little pieces that, were very like ragtime blues inspired uh, as a kid. I just like, but um, I'd, I, I, would, I would have something on the piano and I'd have my mom notate it. <laughs> She'd have me play it over and over and over again until she could finally notate it. Um, uh, and, and then going through my dictation lessons in high school, I realized how much of a pain that must have been for her. Well, it's cool that um, you had a musical enough mom that she could do that. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I really, I am incredibly fortunate. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, I would write these little tunes um, here and there. And, and then, you know, in high school, I had opportunities to, um, to write music for, for other people um, and, and to play with other people. Um, I, I wrote a piece for my jazz band in, in middle school that I played. Um, and just, you know, little things along the way um, that I, I was able to like rope other people into. And then getting into college, um, it was mostly just solo piano pieces that I would write because that's that's the stuff that I could perform. And then since then, you know, it's I've actually had a surprising amount of opportunities lately um, to write music for other people who would perform my work. Um, and so I've written a few chamber pieces since then. Um, but I guess it's mostly been driven by who will perform it. And if it's me, then it's usually just solo piano works. But, <laughs> Um, that's kind of how it's grown steadily since then. How would you describe briefly your style of writing? Uh, that's that's a really good question too, because I feel like it's always changing. Um, and I think a lot about John Corigliano when he was asked this question and he said he doesn't have a style. And I think that's really funny because he definitely has a style. He definitely <laughs> does actually. Yeah. yeah. And so, you know, I, I like to think that all of my pieces sound very different, but I'll, especially after, you know, years of, of having written a piece, setting it aside, I'll, I'll go back and I'll listen to something and I'll be like, actually there's, there's a lot of common threads. Um, I, I would say my music is ultimately very tonal um, and, uh, but with jazz influence um and i guess i guess i'll just leave it at that I, I i try i i've been very fascinated lately with the idea of 
you know, what is American music and, and being an American and trying to explore that, especially in a country that's, you know, larger, almost larger than the continent of Europe. Um, so it's like, how, how do you, how do you define a single style and how do you continue that and, and where, what is my role as a composer in America? And so I've, I've been trying to explore that, but I think ultimately it's just, it's a melting pot. It's, it's a melting pot of, of European classical tradition. It's a melting pot, including, you know, jazz and, and um, blues and rock. And uh, so there's, there's a lot of influences there, but. Have you played Ives very much? Speaking of American music, uh, I have not played him, but I have listened seriously to a lot of his music. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, yeah, one of my one of my very earliest influences was a lot of the songs, um, like the Cage, and you know, there's a lot of his little short and at the river and things like that, where the bitonal kind of pieces. I thought those were really pretty cool. Yeah. What are your long-term plans uh, for music or long-term goals? I mean, other than, of course, getting better and, you know, um, exploring different kinds of music. What's your five-year plan with music, if you have one? I, I do. Um, <clears throat> I, I do see myself in, in the next five to ten years taking a much more serious turn towards music. Um, I I don't know. I've I've been in a very fortunate position with both engineering and with music, um, both of which really fascinate me. Um, and so I, I'm in a really wonderful, comfortable position now where I've got a good job that is engaging and that I enjoy, uh, that allows me to pursue music on the side. Um, but I do see myself in, in maybe five to 10 years taking a much more serious turn towards music and, and having that be a much more primary focus in my life. I'm the kind of person who wants to do literally everything. And maybe I can't do literally everything, but I, I don't have to limit myself to just one thing. And I think what's been really exciting about having graduated college is there, there's really no one forcing you to just stay in one path you know there's there's nothing stopping you from you know if you if you have the capacity for it to pursue music seriously or to do something completely different um there, there's there's really there's no rules you're an adult you can do whatever you want so um that's, that's really exciting and so doing things like like this and, and playing with this, the symphonietta um and and just getting more involved in, in different music communities um here in the gorge and in portland it's it's really exciting to think about like what what that might look like. Um, well, let's talk about the concerto a bit, Mitch. So, we, um, yeah. tell me, what are your top three? Not not necessarily the Rachmaninoff. What are your top three favorite concertos of all time? Maybe oh, not ones that you necessarily play, but just you know, in general. Possibly one of my favorite pieces of all time, or definitely one of the most influential, is Prokofiev's second piano concerto. Um, in G minor, and that one is is an absolute beast. But yes, that I I, I think knowing kind of the context of that piece, um, and then also just the, the structure of it and all the different melodies that he has going on in there, it, it, that's another example of music that was really cacophonous to me at first, and just thinking like, wow, why would anybody learn this? You realize well, it really isn't so much. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know, and then. You, it seems like that all the time. I, I hear a new cacophonous piece, and then after a month, I'm like, "That's actually that's very tonal. It's not, um, it's not dissonant at all." Um, another would be, and this is a piece that I will never learn, um, is is Bartok's second piano concerto. 
that one also had a large influence on me. What a difficult piece. I mean, forget Rock 3. I think Bartok second is, is, takes the cake for the most difficult piece in piano repertoire. But it's so, it's fun. I mean, like the melodies are so fun. And I've often think, thought of myself, thought of maybe myself abridging it <laughs> for a piece for two pianos because the melodies are so wonderful. Um, mm -hmm. It's just such difficult, evil writing. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know how he played it himself, uh, but... And then maybe a third would be, um, there's a, a, a recent piano concerto, I think from the 1990s by Robert Beezer um, that I really like. Uh, and that was also another step into the world of like contemporary um, classical music for me. Um, but that I really love. And that those are some like real American harmonies and, and very like, jazz inspired uh cacophony i guess uh but that, that one's really fun i listen to that one quite quite often let's talk about the concerto now tell us about what are the challenges of learning that for people who don't know it or who are going to come and see you perform it what have been the challenges of learning it for you well first of all rachmaninoff is known for having massive hands <laughs> and uh i think he could stretch a comfortable 12th on the piano that's what i something like um, that right and the opening chords alone of the the piece where you just have solo piano playing these large bell tolls are um, just fully exemplifying of that because they're just, they're huge. They're, you have these chords that are just tense in the left hand and um, really awkward. It, it must've been comfortable for him, but uh, you know, I have to find sometimes sneaky ways around making, making very, subtle <laughs> arpeggiations of, of those chords yeah so I, I i you know i have my own secrets of <laughs> how i play some of these these passages um but uh but yeah uh I, I think you know then the most difficult part with playing romantic music is of course the melody and, and really the phrasing of that and what's particularly difficult about music from rachmaninoff is not only does he have a lot of moving parts and you know a lot of these arpeggios um happening mostly in the left hand you also have a, a melody that you're trying to um you're trying to give life to and it's it's you know romantic so it's supposed to sound like it's being sung and often you know you're playing that with just your right pinky and so you have to give so much life <laughs> to just your right pinky and you have to make it sound like it could have been sung from you know an opera singer and uh and, and really just breathe as much life into it while also keeping up the um the, the technical um you know just the exciting virtuosic aspects of the piece as well and we all know that it's such a melodic piece that different pop composers have adapted and stolen both the harmony and the melody from yes. from that concerto right so so people will recognize a lot of the tunes for sure um on a scale of one to ten What's the difficulty level of that piece, do you think? Uh, 10, 10 being rock Bartok. Mono. Yeah, Bartok 2 and, and maybe Rock 3. Yeah. Um, I, would, I would put this up at, at like a, a 7 to an 8. Um, it's, it's very difficult. But, but like I said earlier, I mean, the most challenging parts of this piece are, are um, the, the melody and making sure that that's not being sacrificed with your attention to detail and the technical aspects of it. Right. Well. It's, it's not so um, much the technique, it's the emotion in the in the phrasing and things yeah, like that the, the combination of all, all of it really, <clears throat> um, 
and, and so but i mean there are there are definitely like in, incredibly incredibly challenging p- parts of it too i mean just the the pyrotechnics especially in the third movement i think are are particularly devilish but what's cool about rachmaninoff um as opposed to i would say bartok or some other um modern composers is you know he was a, a pianist composer and his music although very difficult was written by a pianist for a pianist and so um as many notes as there are, it, it falls under the fingers pretty well. Um, and to me, I think that's the best compliment you can give a composer is that it's comfortable. As you've gotten to play this with the orchestra, any any in you know surprises or insights that you didn't really think about before now that you're doing it with other players? For me, as a developing musician, I, I guess it's there's a lot more riding on the fact that I need to make sure that I'm playing in time and that I'm playing <laughs> that I'm not gonna I'm not gonna stop an orchestra full of you know, 30 plus people um, I, I think that for me is has been um, something that has uh, that's been really you know rewarding about all of this is I get to play with all these people but I also it means I'm, I'm playing with all of these people um, so but I, I it, it is just so wonderful to hear all of the, the the different um, colors of the orchestra while I'm playing. And, and it really just, I, I think, adds to my playing when I can hear all of this, just the, the life and the energy from the orchestra. And, you know, I've played this piece with um, a, a condensed piano, second piano playing as, as the orchestra. And so I'm very familiar with, with what the notes are and what, what they should be. Um, but I'll, I'll hear, I'm like, oh, shoot, I didn't realize that was the timpani. Like <laughs> I didn't know that mm-hmm. they, they took the note. Like, that's really mm-hmm. cool. And and just as you know, for me, like that's and it's important. Like and it comes with listening to the piece often. But um, it's just those pleasant surprises when I'm playing it. I'm like, yeah, this is with a real orchestra and with real people. And so yeah, and it's you know, it's you've heard it a thousand times on recording, but there's something different about being inside it with other players around you and yeah. the, the way the vibrations come together and the sounds you know blend and even with a fairly small orchestra it really it's a pretty exciting experience right yeah well everybody's really looking forward to it um everybody's been real impressed with your playing and we're really excited that you're doing it so we we really appreciate you to playing with us yeah so for anyone listening the concerts are november 18th at 7 p.m. November 20th at 2 p.m. at the Y East Middle School Performing Arts Center up in Odell. You can get tickets at gorgeorchestra.org. Tickets are $25 for adults or $15 for CGOA members, $5 for youth ages 10 to 17, and free for kids under 10. It's a great concert to introduce young people to classical music, right? It's uh, very listenable, tuneful colorful, romantic music. We're doing, besides the Rachmaninoff, we're doing Scheherazade by Rimsky-Korsakov, another Russian composer, and Wagner's Siegfried's Rhine Journey, a really colorful, descriptive piece, and uh, Salute de Moor by El- Edward Elgar, and we're going to have that danced by uh, members of the Columbia Gorge Dance Academy. So it's a, it's a really cool, varied program of all sorts of interesting stuff. All right. Anything you want to add? I, I, I it's exciting. Anything uh, else yeah, we're forgetting? Uh, I'm just, uh, I just cannot express, express enough my gratitude for, for playing with the Gord Symphonietta. Um, it's, it's such a, a remarkable group of talented musicians and 
Um, I'm just so lucky that this is something that exists in, in the place that I live. And, um, and every week I get to perform with, uh, or to, to rehearse with these people. And it's just so much fun for me. Um, so I, I'm just so, so grateful for all of these members and um, this, this, uh, the CGOA Orca, uh, Orchestra Association for, uh, for allowing this to happen. Well, we're all grateful. So we're all happy to. So thank you very much. All right, Mitchell. Well, we look forward to seeing you in November.